Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Now, our stock market is behaving unbelievably crazily at the moment, with stocks ending up a 7% for the day. Now, stimulus talk is helping, but it also raises the question, is it time to get greedy when others are fearful, as the oracle of Omaha Warren Buffett has advised us in the past? Or is this a bear market trap? On the program tonight, we'll talk to investment specialist at Platinum Asset Management, Julian McCormack. Then we'll talk to Julia Lee from Berman Invest, followed by CMC Markets' Michael McCarthy. And then I'll get the economist view from Shane Oliver from AMP Capital. And then I'll get Paul Rickard, my colleague at the Switzer Report, to sum up why this market went up 7% today. So without any further ado, let's cross to Julian McCormack from Platinum Asset Management. Watching every move in the market and obviously hoping for a turnaround. Julian, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Now, mate, um, I know you guys, uh, and when I, I talked to Ken Nelson a, a year or so ago, was was very much worried about the overall in, uh, level of debts and all the challenges that the system had. But the coronavirus was a curveball that not even someone as great as you would have, or Kerr would have expected. Yeah, Pete. I mean, th these are very unusual times, uh, for sure, with a very uh, unusual catalyst that causes a market correction. But the correction itself is not something that's, you know, um, impossible to understand or isn't amenable to analysis, right? So, so we had pretty uh, extended equity markets, you know, quite full valuations and lots of corporate debt in the system, in particular in the States. And then along comes a, you know, a, a black swan type event to, to use a you know, hackneyed phrase. And you get very, very significant market corrections. Um, it's just, it, it just should be noted for, pe for people, places like China have, you know, uh, seen a, a relatively shallow correction and then, you know, they're, they're back above or at the levels they were pre COVID. So yeah. the nature of the system is sort of determining what the, the repercussions for the system, for, for this black, black swan event are. Okay. So Julian, um, let's let's also look at the the severity of the drop, and and coming out of nowhere, the markets were rather complacent for at least a month, even two months of coronavirus news, but when it dropped, it really dropped hard, um, and reflecting upon. Markets when I was younger, when Ken Nelson was younger, we both had a lot of hair and probably beards as well. Uh, uh, markets didn't seem to fall like that. I think 87, of course, that was computerized trading. But the level of computerized trading and you know all the stuff that we're seeing now, is the magnitude of dropping being raised because of the age of the computer and the interconnectedness of everything nowadays? I think so. We think so as a firm. Um, so we think something like 9% of all trades in, in big developed markets, Australia, Japan, USA, those kind of markets are done by single stock buyers, right? So 91%, something like that of trades are done by portfolio um, adjustment type things. So option overlays and, you know, mm. sort of broad sweeping things. Um, passive investors, 
um, basket type trades, you know, so, so value will all work at once or growth will all work at once or dividend pays will all work at once, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So what that does is it, is, it, is, it, is it hollows out markets in big events because you don't have nearly as many people as a proportion of the market coming in and picking off single stock names uh, mm. where they see value. That, that's, just, that's just a sort of dinosaur uh, type feature of markets, uh, which are now these sort of broad, uh, not just passive, but passive plus algorithmic plus these sort of basket style trades. So, so what happens when you get, you know, funny markets? And this is not the first, right? You know, we had the, the taper tantrum, the flash crash. Yeah. We had that event uh, in early 2018. We had a very, very significant market correction, you know, just instantaneously. You get these air pockets in markets. Mm. Um, you mentioned 87. We, we won't get another 87. That was a, a unique time in history where paper settlements were trying to keep up with computerized execution. And so you, you, you had this incredible fragility built into the system, but we're going to get these style of events, yeah. you know, uh, as a matter of course. Yeah. Now, I know you guys were holding probably more cash than the market wanted you to, and as a consequence, people questioned your performance. So even though you, you, I'm sure you hate the fact that the market sold off so aggressively, it's probably it's been beneficial to your, your position. But at this point in time, because a lot of my viewers, my followers, my uh, subscribers, uh, some people want to go to cash and they're so scared. I'm, I'm trying to say to them, maybe you don't want to lose twice by you know, going to cash and missing a rebound. What are you guys thinking about what you should be doing now? Should you be going to cash now or should you be looking to position yourself for an eventual rebound whenever it happens? Uh, the latter, Pete. I mean, you know, pe people need to be so, so. Markets bottoming out um, is a process. Mm. You know, you, no, no one sends anyone an email and says, "That's it, we've reached yeah. the bottom. <laughs> you can buy now." So this is a process. We could go lower from here. Yeah. You know, we could we could we could go significantly lower from here in in Western markets in particular, where you haven't seen, you know, the really difficult part of this process, which mm. is you know horrible stories about you know, healthcare systems overrun, et cetera, et cetera. And that's possible. So we must turn this into a process, not a point, so that we're participating in that bottoming process over time. Hmm. So if people have spare cash now, they want to be getting it into markets. You know, they hmm. absolutely must be getting into markets because but don't turn it into some sort of competition that you're seeking to pick the bottom. You just want each week or each month, you want to be participating in this bottoming process by getting money into markets, into, you know, good companies that you understand, or good funds that you feel comfortable with, or indeed just broad passive exposure to to, to markets that, that you think you understand, mm. now is the time. You know, a year ago when we had too much cash and everyone thought we were, you know, being a bit silly, we now have to reverse that behaviour ourselves and want to, want to be deploying cash. Mm. You know, this is the time to do it. Okay, so um, I've been saying to a lot of people, as an economist, I'm not really watching economic data now. I'm looking at virus data. And, and Julian, if we see uh, for, for our own, own economy uh, in Europe and the USA, those infection rates, those curves start flattening off, heading towards a drop, do you think that's going to be the, the greatest uh, flag to stock markets that maybe the worst is behind us and therefore 
that that rebound will that, that will believable or credible rebound would probably start then. Uh, yeah, that would definitely help. There's a, there's a series of things that will help. Um, so concrete news on, um, you know, not 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 just treatment, but on you know preventative measures that we can use. So, you know, we're we're used to inoculation type, you know, vaccine type um, procedures taking 12 to 18 months. Mm. Technology's changed, Pete, and so we own a couple of businesses, Moderna in particular, um, which are working on ways of accelerating that. Mm. I mean, dramatically, you know, dramatically. And and that stuff is in the pipeline. It will happen. Yeah. And so that will change investor psychology. I can't give you a timeline for that. No one can. But it's probably sooner than people think. Um, clear evidence of containment measures working, as you suggest, another, you know, clear um, catalyst for markets uh, to move higher. But, but then beyond that, um, once the, there's this epidemiology, that's happening, but the economics behind that's really important too. Mm. So, uh, you know, uh, um, a, a lowering of the rate of change of new unemployment claims uh, would be very useful mm. as well. And we're, you know, we're probably some way off that. Yeah, without doubt. So I guess, you know, um, if, if we saw by late April that, you know, in say for example, USA, if it was starting to show some positive signs, and then by end of May, people starting to go back to work, not en masse, but in businesses that are less vulnerable and whatever. Obviously, the stock market always tries to get in ahead of reality. Is that, if, that were, if my timeline was right, would you expect to see the market getting more excited in May when people are starting to go back to work? Or do you think they'd anticipate it before it? Probably anticipate it before it, Pete. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd almost, you know, bet bet my, my hat on that. Um, but the the other element of this, the bit that we haven't touched on is you've, you've got completely uninvestable volatility across all asset classes. So you know, people have noticed gold selling off, even treasuries sold off a bit, yeah. you know, a bit over a week ago. Um, as that settles down, markets can find a bottom. And, and all that is, is people being forced to sell. You're never forced to buy. No one's ever forced to buy anything. You've always got a choice. But there's lots of people that get forced to sell. Mm. So when they get forced to sell, so something's broken in their portfolio or they've lost a whole bunch of money into something they can't trade, they then have to go and get liquidity everywhere. So as you see that broad, you know, all asset class volatility falling, then markets can find a bottom and, and, and accelerate off that. Okay. Last question, mate. Um, the magnitude of the stimulus packages right around the world, and particularly the Germans absolutely shocked me with a stimulus package equivalent to 30% of GDP. Like, you know, when they do stuff, they do it big time. Yeah. If the virus data gets better quicker than the, the alarmists are predicting and we're left with all this stimulus, is that going to be a powerful force for both an economic and a stock market rebound over the course of the rest of 2020 rolling into 2021? Uh, yes, all other things being equal. So, so what I mean by that is there, there are lots of channels down which this stimulus cannot flow. Mm. So, so small businesses will struggle. Um, Non-investment grade credits you know, big, big businesses, they will struggle. They, you know, they, they can't get a bid here. 
Mm. Um, so, so there is, but let's think about this um, as a bucket and it's been full of liquidity in this late part of the cycle. And then you've had this event. And so as businesses go broke, uh, compromised, the bucket starts leaking, right? Mm. So, so this stimulus and fiscal impulse, both monetary and fiscal that's coming in is seeking to refill that but the outflow is still going to be very, very strong. And we've mm. only just started that process. So we really have this balancing act here. I think your point still applies, but it's, it's possibly a bit early yeah. because we haven't actually seen, you know, we've just seen the beginnings of unemployment go up, just the beginnings of, of businesses, um, you know, having to, to, to shut their, shut their doors. Mm. And, and I struggle to believe that the amount of stimulus you can actually get into the economy can outweigh that outflow of, of businesses, you know, being compromised in the early stages. Mm. Then in the later stages, I, I would agree with you, Pete. I, I think we'd probably get a world in which you get people back to work, you get businesses opening their doors again in the presence of very, very low interest rates fixed by central banks mm. and in the presence of very, very strong fiscal impulse, right? So, and that, that then probably changes the, the order of preference in markets. You probably don't want things that are safe and bond-like. You want things that are cyclical and pay you quickly because yeah. you want to be, you know, you want, you want short duration, not long duration yeah. at some point. That, that would be, that would be my guess. That's something that's um, actively debated uh, at, at, at Platinum yeah. you know, from here looking forward. Well, the one final irony which I'll throw in there, and I know it's a, 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 an outside the square type of thought, but if all this happens, 2021 might actually show that there are wage rises, inflation, and people talking about rising interest rates. It would be like creating a normal economy again. It, exactly, Pete. And we've been, we've been talking about this for quite a while, mm. right? That, that, so four or five years ago, we were saying lower for longer, and mm. that's right. But, but now we've got record low in terms of interest rates globally. Yeah. And so what is probabilistically going to happen three years or five years out from a record low? You probably go up. Yeah. You probably go up. And yeah. look, uh, we're not talking. We go back to eight or ten percent inflation, but you know, just some more recognisable level of inflation, yeah. um, possibly in a surge yeah. um, rather than a, you know, a, an embedded part of the feature of the economy, yeah. and probably you know higher rates than we've had in the last you know, certainly year or so. We just need to remember the ten-year uh, you know yield on Treasuries, the one that matters globally in the states, that was three point two, three point three two years ago yeah. and how quickly we forget. It's, yeah. it's pretty likely we'll see those kind of outcomes yeah. on yeah. the other side of this. So I think the last time inflation was really worrying, we had massive budget deficits and that's exactly what we're going to have it's after this coronavirus. No, exactly uh, right. Yeah, great talking to you. Great, thanks Pete, thanks for the, the invitation. Yeah, Julian McCormack, of course, from Platinum and we hope that he's absolutely on the money. Well, that was Julian McCormack from Platinum Asset Management. And now we've got the, the great Julia Lee from Berman Invest to give us her latest take. Last time I talked to her, she wasn't interested in catching falling knives. She's such a scaredy cat. Is she now interested in maybe having a look at some of the knives that are starting to look, drop at a slower rate with the market up 7% today? Julia, uh, good to see you. Hi, Peter. What an amazing market. 
I mean, we've seen the biggest jump for the Aussie share market in a single session since the 20th of October 1980. And yet we're still on track for the worst month that we've seen for the Aussie share market since October 1987. So it's been an incredible roller coaster. And of course, today we heard from the Prime Minister about the wage keeper package. Um, so that's likely to have a strong impact on businesses on the ASX when the market reopens tomorrow. Yeah. Now, Julia, I've got to say to you that I'm in a lot of trouble with Maureen. She's been wanting to buy for the last week or so, and she was absolutely right. Just for everything she wanted to buy, um, she got right. Um, and I kept saying to her, this market makes me think there's going to be at least one more leg down. So there should be a buying opportunity in that leg down. Am I wrong in arguing that case, Julia? I think, Pete, if you look back historically, if this is the start of a new bull market, this would be the shortest bear market that we've ever seen in terms of history. And looking at bear markets, they tend to have these really sharp uh, bear market rallies. In fact, some of the strongest up moves that you've seen, and typically moves where we see plus 5% or plus 7% or down 7%, down 5%, these moves aren't typical of a bull market. They are typical of a bear market. Now, the announcement that we've heard from the Prime Minister is extremely positive in trying to secure our business confidence through the next few months, which are likely to be pretty uh, tough. And you'd expect the market to rally off this as well. In fact, it'd be normal to see around about a 50% retracement, to use some jargon, um, for those who, who follow technicals. And you'd expect to see a target of around about 5,800 points. So I am expecting to see a short-term rally here. Of course, it's not just about Australia. So in the months ahead, I suspect that there's going to be both book good as well as bad news coming through. And the market that we're watching very closely, of course, is the US. Okay. But the, the big question then is, are you willing to think about buying some stuff now? I would be looking to buy things for the short term. And once we see that rally, probably lightening some of the portfolio. But look, overall, once again, this volatility is extremely abnormal. It's very difficult to predict as well. But if we have a look at past bear markets, there does tend to be a rhyme and a rhythm to it. And we are seeing a bit of a bounce here off the lows of 4,400. And you'd expect to see a bounce until about 5,800 points. So I'd probably start off loading stocks once we got close to that 5,800 point mark and then look for a more attractive entry point. Okay, this is a tougher question, Julia, but let's, uh, and I have been watching Chris Joy's numbers on virus infections and the curves that you know, Coolbar Capital Investments have been looking at. And he's kind of implying that Australia could be um, looking at the flattening of the curve around April 4 to April 11. Imagine that it was April 4, but let's say April 11, middle of April, America, end of April. And, and like, that seems unbelievable, but let's hope he's right. If that became the belief of the market, would that make you feel more confident about that the worst of the drop, that, that, that free-falling drop we had a few weeks back, that was like with no idea what central banks were, no idea what stimulus packages might be put out there, could that have been the worst of the drops, even though we might get some more legs down? Is that, given those, what I said to you earlier, would that make you think that's a, a, a possibility? 
Look, the market that I'm watching the closest is the U.S. So if we started to see a flattening in terms of the curve in the U.S., that would definitely be a positive, I think, for equity markets. Um, yep. And then it depends on the stimulus that we see around the globe and the economic impact of, of shutdowns. So, look, we are watching the U.S. very closely, both in terms of whether there is any medication out there which would limit mm. the duration of uh, the virus. But remember, flattening the curve is not about people not getting corona and eradicating it. It's just about not overloading the health system and I guess the problem with viruses is that you could see them come down to another level before you see perhaps a second wave come through so I think you have to sort of take into account different scenarios that could happen we could see the virus disappear altogether in a couple of months uh, we could see a flattening of the curve and then you could see a revamp in a second wave or you could see it coming under control because we do see uh, developments in terms of medical science which might help the fight against COVID-19. So we don't know which one of those scenarios uh, is yet to play out but here in Australia it should be good news for stocks tomorrow and thank goodness because it's the end of quarter. I suspect there'd be a bit of window dressing happening on tomorrow's market as well from fund managers who've also had a pretty big hit in the first quarter of the year. But I think the world really watching the US at the moment in terms of a hotspot. So we're watching the number of new cases as well as any developments in terms of medical science, which might help us in uh, eradicating uh, COVID-19 or a shorter duration of the virus. Okay, now we're, we're also seeing that as high quality stocks are being chased, the banks, mm -hmm. CSL, Cochlear, all those sort of you know, great companies that you'd love to hold and buy at low prices. Uh, the, the, the mid caps and the smaller caps are being ignored, Julia. Is there, is there a mid cap or small cap that you like on the basis that, well, it hasn't been, you know, uh, loved in recent times, but <laughs> if the market's going to get more positive, is a company worth thinking about? Yeah, one stock I would like to pick up during this panic is Breville Group. Um, it is a company with a strong suite of products. And look, I know that consumer confidence is going to be low for a few months, which means the share price will most likely come under pressure. But I think once the coronavirus um, passes through and is um, something that's more that we refer back to in history, hopefully Breville Group will start to ramp up again in terms of the great suite of products that it, it does have. So, look, Breville Group is probably one that I'm watching. But in terms of a recovery, it is the large cap, the quality yeah. end of the market that leads recoveries. And there's stocks like CSL, even Telstra, um, looking at things like Macquarie Group as well. Yeah. I, I will throw in, uh, I recently wrote an article of stocks you might want to hold for 10 years, and uh, none other than Jeff Wilson said the Breville Group. So you're in good <laughs> company there, Julia. Excellent. Okay, Julia, once again, thanks for joining us. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Pete. So that was Julia Lee from Vermin Invest. And coming up next, we'll be talking to her partner in Switzer TV crime, Michael McCarthy from CMC Markets. Well, we're still trying to work out how we should be responding to the challenging stock market we're coping with nowadays. Last time I talked to Michael McCarthy from CMC Markets, he wasn't interested in anything whatsoever in terms of buying. Let's just see if he's changed his mind one week on. Michael, thanks for joining us. Have you changed your mind? But I haven't changed my mind at all. In fact, since we last spoke, I've seen more market action that indicates we're still in a very disruptive phase. And that means, to my mind at least, we're more likely to see lower levels for shares all round before this is uh, done and dusted. Yeah. 
So, Michael, just to explain what your thinking is about when you will say, okay, it's time to start buying, what do you need to see? I need to see markets behaving much more rationally, much more calmly. I want to see lower trading ranges in each day and uh, much smaller changes day to day in prices. I'd like to see volumes drop back to more normal levels. That to me will be a sign that we're getting back towards more normal market conditions when we can start applying all those investment principles that we generally do in a normal market. Now you're not a fund manager, so I, I, but you know what a lot of fund managers might be doing. Do you think the fund managers who can take a, a longer perspective on the, the kinds of stocks they hold in their fund would be bottom fishing right now, looking at great quality companies and saying to themselves, well, look, okay, um, CBA is $57. It might go down to 50, but I'm prepared to gamble and buy at 57. We've certainly seen evidence of that sort of thing in the market, Peter, in particular support for healthcare stocks, yep. utilities, uh, and the banks themselves. Um, with the big fall in share prices, uh, we've seen people doing dividend yield calculations that are giving them very big numbers. Of course, there's always a risk those dividends will be cut. But nonetheless, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, looking at, say, CBA's 3% rise today, that we are seeing people who believe that this is the right time to be buying. Yeah. yeah. My big problem is that I kind of agree with you that I, I think there are more down days. I, I'd be prepared to, to uh, gamble that maybe we've seen the worst of how far it goes. That, that only because I think the stimulus packages might get bigger and bigger and that might help. But I, I know that um, my wife Maureen uh, wanted to buy healthcare stocks today and maybe uh, CBA and I, I kind of warned her off it and so she's hating me. Uh, and, th and throwing daggers at me today because I think Cochlear is up fifteen dollars. But yes. But, but but do you do you? And I look quite frankly, I don't care if I miss it. I'm a bit like you. I want to make sure that I'm really comfortable that the worst is behind us. Um, what kind of triggers will send the market either way to either make us look like geniuses or complete dopes? <laughs> well, the one thing that would make us look pretty silly, Peter, is if somebody comes out with a cure, yep. uh, a cure for the virus or something that stops it dead in its tracks or, or at least vaccinates the population, that could see markets stabilise. And of course, if we see peak infections, yep. if we see strong evidence that the rate of infection is slowing yep. uh, and that we might be past the peak, that would be another real positive for the markets overall. So there are a couple of things that I'm watching out for, but of course, unexpected breakouts, accelerating infection rates, could send us in the other direction. Are you happy with what you're seeing from governments around the world and central banks in addressing some of the, the enormous problems and question marks that emerged when the market first fell, uh, you know, realising the coronavirus was going to be a global pandemic? Well, absolutely. But I mean, I'm not going to comment on the medical side of things. Clearly, that's the first uh, priority here. We have to look after the welfare and safety of citizens all around the world. So, uh, but I'm no health expert, uh, I, so I won't touch that. No. But on the economic side of things, I, we've seen unprecedented, unprecedented action, Peter. I mean, the central banks have been calling on governments for four years now to join the party with some fiscal stimulus. Well, this crisis has finally got governments around the, the world moving. And at the last count, we're approaching 16 trillion US dollars 
worth of fiscal stimulus from governments around the world. Yeah. We've never seen anything like this before in history, Peter, and I'm not uh, sure what uh, more governments could do at this stage. The reality is, though, the dislocation in the global economy is going to hurt no matter what governments do. Mm. OK, well, one last question to you. You know, arguably someone who might be a slightly better investor than you, only just Warren Buffett has... Uh, <laughs> he's certainly more famous. <laughs> uh, I think his track record is even better than yours as well, and mine, and most other people in the world. But he, 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 did, he did give the advice, be greedy when other people are fearful. People are fearful, and some people are being greedy. When do you think you'll get greedy? When we hear despair, Peter. The last gasp of the bear market, it finished in March 2009, was a rout. Uh, people had watched the, the, the uh, index portfolios go down 30% over the first 12 months of that crisis. Those losses then doubled in the last five months into March 2009. Mm. So it was at that point that even those who'd held off capitulated, they all sold out, there was genuine despair and you couldn't find a bull anywhere. That will be the signal for me. Okay. Well, I hope you never see that day, Michael McCarthy, but thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Michael McCarthy from CMC Markets. Well, in my quest to try and make more sense out of this big market sell-off and the challenge of the coronavirus and whether a rebound is out there eventually waiting to happen. A man who watches the markets, particularly this uh, point in time, 24-7, is uh, Dr. Shane Oliver from AMP Capital. Shane, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Peter. Are you getting much sleep or are you getting up <laughs> earlier than usual and, and watching international markets, praying for a good sign? Uh, I'm trying, but uh, it's gotten a bit hard lately. Yeah. I, I mean, you think you're going to be working at home, so you might save some travel time, but you don't end up saving any time at all because there's so much stuff going on, whether it's global markets, whether it's the Fed, whether it's Donald Trump uh, stimulus packages or likewise in Australia, um, stimulus packages on the weekend. So it's been a pretty uh, hectic time. Yeah. And, and, and from my point of view, Shane, people like you and me are usually preoccupied with economic data, but... I'm getting preoccupied with virus data. And it seems to me if we get a significant turn for the better on that front, we then can start, start focusing on the economic data. What do you say to that? I think you're totally right. Um, that's the, my week, if you read my weekly reports, the first thing I talk about is the virus. Mm. Look at all the charts there. Uh, I was uh, focused on China. If you go back a few months ago, we all thought, Maybe it's going to be contained to China. That proved not to be the case. But the good news out of China is that they were able to get the virus under control and their economy is gradually returning to normal. And we'll probably get a bit of a read on that this week when their business survey, what they call the PMI, Purchasing Managers Index, basically a survey of businesses for March comes out. And I suspect it's going to be quite a lot higher than the hor horrible number we saw in February. So we've obviously moved on from China. So now I look at Italy. I kind of think, well, if they were the first major country outside of China to have a huge problem with this, and it has been a huge problem in Italy, but they're also the first major country to put the lockdowns in place. And if they can be successful, then we should be able to as well. Mm. And the good news, I think, is that the number of cases in, in Italy on a, on a daily basis, the number of new 
daily cases has been starting to slow down, which I think is a positive sign. So if they can do it, then we should be able to as well. And obviously, we, we watched the US news out, out of there isn't so good. And also Australia. Recently, the news in Australia has been a little bit better. But to me, that's the key in all of this. If, if the social distancing, the shutdowns, lockdowns, whatever you want to call it, hibernation, um, if those things start to bear fruit in terms of a reduction in the number of new cases on a daily basis, then we have some hope that a month or two down the track, uh, the shutdowns can be eased and we could start to gradually head back to normal and that big hit to economic activity um, will start to recede. Yeah, so the, uh, I guess one of the the exercises people like uh, you need to do is always be evaluating the kinds of things that are taking demand away from economic growth and then evaluating what's being put in to offset that um, reduction. The, the stimulus packages you've seen so far around the world, and I... I've said to other people, well, any of you, I was shocked and awed if such a verb can be created um, by Germany. 30% of GDP to me shows that they're, they're having a staggering shot at trying to preserve their economy. But look, I at think the that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I mean, if you do a rough calculation, so we've got 25% of the Aussie economy, which is at real risk here, obviously, part big. Big chunks of retailing, tourism, accommodation, hospitality, uh, property, and so on. So you've got 25% of the economy that could take a, I don't know, 70, 80% hit. Um, so it's quite conceivable that the economy might contract by 10% yeah. uh, in the, you know, say around the June quarter. So therefore, roughly speaking, you need some sort of fiscal stimulus to offset that. You need monetary easing such that when the, the hit to the economy, when the virus is under control, we can bounce back. This is the hibernation concept that the Prime Minister has been talking about lately. And I must say, I'm, I'm heartened to see uh, the, uh, the stimulus measures that we've seen. They have moved very quickly. You'd have to say they've moved very quickly. This is, I mean, we've seen a 30-odd percent fall in share markets over the course of four weeks. Matching that has been a very quick shift towards fiscal stimulus. Obviously, Germany's a big one there. For years and years and years, they dragged the chain. No, we can't uh, let the budget deficit blow out. We've got to get our public debt down. And suddenly, they've changed their tune. Likewise, mm. in the US, the US has never been as doctrinaire as, uh, as Germany has, but uh, it went from something like a 1% of GDP stimulus, and now on the weekend, President Trump signed into place a 9% of GDP stimulus. And you can go right around the world and see lots of countries doing similar things, uh, they all vary a little bit in terms of what precisely they're doing and how they're doing it. Some of them are lending, uh, are loans to the private sector. Some of them are, are loan guarantees. But a big chunk of it is actual spending. And if you think back to Keynesian economics, um, mm. and I'm sure you know this just as well as I do, uh, that you've got a situation like lots of us are stuck at home, can't go out of the shops, can't go on holidays, can't buy that new car, can't buy that new property. <clears throat> so we're, we're sort of, you know, to the extent we've still got a job, yeah, you know, we're able to save more than we used to. And so therefore, I think it makes total sense for governments to access that money, to borrow that money effectively, ultimately through, through the financial system and undertake the spending that we're not doing. That helps smooth the economy. They do that spending by putting money in the hands of businesses, by um, subsidising wages, which looks like the federal government's uh, moving towards, um, and doing a whole lots of other things such that the economy can survive this two-month period or, God forbid, six-month period 
and come out the other end and then restart again. So I think what we're seeing makes a lot of sense. And in some ways, it's kind of perverse. We've had the benefit of the GFC, which has got governments and policymakers thinking about alternative ways of doing things. And so they've been able to quickly roll out these policies. Whereas if you think, think back to, uh, 12, 30 years ago to the GFC, it took a little bit longer to get there. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of this as well. I mean, I think they're doing exactly the right thing. A lot of people might have said, well, Trump wouldn't do anything, would he? Well, he is. Um, he wouldn't get anything through Congress. Well, he has. The Germans won't do anything, but they are. You know, people say Morrison and co. wouldn't do anything. Well, they are. Um, yeah. This has to be seen as a very positive thing. It's not going to cure the virus. You can't do that. That's obviously that's a medical issue and uh, up to epidemiologists and other experts on that front. But it, you can protect the economy through this period. And I think hibernation is the right word to use. We have to hibernate. We have to sh stop connecting with each other for a little while. Um, the evidence suggests that helps get the virus under control, but we need to be able to emerge at the other side in reasonably good shape so we can go on again. Um, we don't want a situation where lots of businesses have gone bust, lots of people have lost their jobs, lots of people have um, fallen into arrears on their mortgages, lots of people are getting foreclosed. We don't want that to happen. So therefore, I think what they're doing is precisely the right thing. So if we get, and let's just, you know, as you know, I have a great reluctance to be optimistic, uh, um, Shane. Um, let's imagine the infection rates do come off faster than alarmists have been predicting. Um, and some businesses start getting back to normal, uh, maybe end of May, even a little bit before, and we're gradually seeing normalcy um, come along June, July, with all the stimulus that's been thrown at the economy, would you then think that, this, like, say, the December quarter rolling into 2021 would be uh, would probably create a fairly strong-looking economy? Under that, that scenario, it probably would. Uh, um, a lot of the focus at the moment is protecting the economy, stopping businesses going bust, protecting people's incomes, that sort of stuff. But some of it also is about stimulating things. Ultra-low interest rates... Um, it used to be the focus on uh, the standard variable rate, but nowadays you can lock in at 2% or something on fixed yeah. rates. Ultra-low interest rates, very cheap money coming from central banks, um, the investment uh, measures that were put in place in, this, in the first stimulus package from the federal government, um, uh, the money going to uh, welfare recipients, a lot of those things, and you can point to similar things in other countries around the world, a lot of those things will then create a stimulus down the track. So, yeah, I mean, governments know you can't spend the money now if you're stuck inside, but this, this will help unleash spending power at some point in the future once mm. we can get back out there again. So, yes, we're going to see some pretty shocking de depressionary-like numbers. People will wheel that term out when uh, GDP numbers come out. Um, but by the same token, there's a good chance that once we get the virus under control and we've protected the economy in the meantime, that will bounce back pretty quickly uh, coming into the end of this year or through next year. Okay, last question. And I will um, prefix this question by sharing something I got from an economist you might have heard of called John K. Galbraith, who I interviewed in 1987 when the oh, crash wow. was on then. Yeah, and it was a fantastic thrill to... Cap capture him in his home on Lake Geneva. And wow. 
and he, he took the call, which was amazing. And I, I asked him the question, what do you think is going to happen? And his answer, you'll appreciate it, was in a deep Canadian voice of his, uh, he said, well, Peter, there are those economists who say they don't know, and then there are those poor fellows who don't know they don't know, <laughs> which I thought was a terrific answer. I've always learned from that. But, sh but Shane, what do you think is going to happen with the stock market over the next few months? Well, that J.K. Galbraith line, I will that myself. I mean, we have to admit that we don't know precisely. I don't know whether we've hit the bottom or not. Um, but you can look back at history, and history is not a perfect guide in these circumstances because each episode when the markets fall is different to the previous episode. But there are some patterns there. You go from a point, you start falling, the market gets cheap, everyone gets negative, you get monetary easing, and then the market eventually starts to try and build a bit of a base. And we're starting to see some of those sorts of things. You know, the price-to-earnings multiples have gone from a little bit above long-term averages to now being well below long-term averages. If you compare the yield on shares compared to the yield on government bonds, which is pushing down towards zero or less in some countries, you know, shares are very cheap, offering much better return potential than government bonds. We have seen, you know, big falls. You know, 30, Aussie market, 37%. The bottom fall below, I think, was on Monday last week. Um, and coming with that, of course, is very negative sentiment. You can look at the VIX or fear index, uh, which is option volatility is, is surged to levels last seen at the time of the GFC. Um, we've seen investor sentiment surveys collapse from being you know, neutral to slightly positive to now being extremely negative. And as Warren Buffett once said, you know, you know the, the way to get rich is get greedy when everyone else is fearful. And alternatively, get fearful when everyone else is greedy. But at the moment, you're seeing a lot more fear around and we're seeing massive monetary stimulus around the world. So, you know, I, I was at least heartened to see markets rally last week. The US share market saw its strongest uh, weekly gain uh, since March of 2009. And back in March of 2009, that was the low point from the GFC bear market. That was when we were starting to recover. Yep. Would I say markets are bottom? Well, I don't know. Back to Jake O'Keefe's But you, you do want to see signs that markets can have a bounce. We've seen a bit of that, and you want to see signs that policymakers are getting the upper hand. So I think we're gradually getting there to the point where I'd say, you know, we, we may not have bottomed, but we, we're getting pretty close to it. And therefore, the sensible thing for a humble investor is to say, well, you know, I can buy things, buy companies now at a 30-odd percent discount to what they were five weeks ago. I don't know whether it's bottomed but maybe I could average in a little bit and do it over the course of the next three or four or five or six months, just at, drip it in through time. That way you're not dependent on getting the precise timing right. But I do reckon in one year's time, in two years' time, we'll be talking about something totally different and markets by then will have ended up at a level far higher than they are today. I've been looking forward to that time very, very much. So am I. <laughs> Shane Oliver, AMP Capital, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Peter. Well, that was Shane Oliver, and let's hope Shane was right. Now, to wrap up, we have Paul Rickard, my colleague from the Switzer Report. And particularly, I want to talk to Paul about this 7% rise in the stock market today. Is that telling us 
but the worst is behind us, Paul. Probably a little early to make that call, Peter. I think a lot about today was the reversal of what we saw on Friday. The market was crazy on Friday, sold off on nothing. Yeah, I thought so too. Today's come back almost to nothing. Obviously, we've had the stimulus package come out late today, which was responsible for the last... The market jumped 2.5% in what they call the final match. So the market at at 4pm goes into a trading hold. Effectively, everything opens for a fraction of a second at 10 minutes past four. The market jumped 120 And when did the Prime Minister start speaking? He started speaking just after four. The first headlines hit the screen at about 4.08. So I think the market knew. I mean, the package is pretty much as they telegraphed, Peter, but perhaps a little more extensive uh, than expected. It goes for six months, uh, gets back down to the first of the month. You know, now companies want to look at, want to be rather, you know, rather than job seekers, we're now all job keepers. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be good, I guess, for the for the business. And, and some people, I guess, would be dragged back to work on the strength of this. Yeah, I think some of the companies, because uh, uh, Morrison got asked that very question mm. and uh, with message to someone who'd gone to Centrelink yesterday was, or today, go and contact your employer. Yeah. I guess some companies will look to reinstate their employees. Probably not too many, but yeah. certainly I think those that have been hanging on mm. and... Uh, perhaps in the news, expectation something would, would happen from oh. government will now be encouraged to, to keep their workers. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see a, a, a company like Premier Investments, you know, will, is Solomon Lou going to turn around and say, okay, I stood 7,000 down or whatever the numbers were. Um, he might turn around and say, well, you guys can come back and, and work on this page. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're going to look at those things. Mm. So let's, we'll see, I, I guess, some of the specialty retailers will, will come back. I don't think retail is going to improve much, Peter. I think mm. that's, that's the challenge. But certainly for for businesses that are seeing a downturn in business, and to be eligible, uh, the business has to see a downturn of more than 30% mm. in its turnover. Uh, I, I think they're the ones that are going to think they haven't laid off their staff. They've yeah. been hoping things are going to get better. They're probably more inclined to see whether they can keep as many employees as they can. And to be fair, you've still got social distancing issues that some businesses will find difficult to actually manage if they've got small spaces and lots of people. Well, we've got social distancing issues and also just the supply chain, Peter. I mean, mm. if you other businesses are closed, you can't necessarily get parts or some of the services you may need for your own business. Mm. So it could be that you've got the work, mm. but you actually, or at least you've got the potential of the work, but you can't get the parts or the, or the bits that go into that, be yeah. they, you know, uh, mechanical or, or virtual. So, okay. you know, there can be some issues, but I mean, the market liked the package well, it's about 17% of GDP. A, it is a big amount of GDP. I think some are going to ask, how are we ever going to pay for this? But uh, Forget that, Paul. That's for the future. We won't get over so the... So we've got to worry about something, Peter. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, 17% now, of GDP is right. huge, right? All right. Now, what, what I want you to worry about, because a lot of my viewers watching this would be saying, well, does this mean it's safe enough to go in, into the market on the belief that it won't fall a lot again? What do you reckon? Look, I think most of the downside damage is down. I don't think we've necessarily seen the bottom, mm. uh, but I think we're in a little bit of a you know, bear market. But you know, we've had a big fall. We've now got central banks and governments mm. throwing the kitchen sink at this. Yeah. You know, the, the bit of data the market is missing, and maybe this isn't too far away, but it's probably not so much in Australia, but starting to see cases in the US. US That's probably the key yeah. market. Yep. And at the moment, that still looks a bit challenging. Although, you know, I know Chris Joy is sort of saying maybe late April, but yeah. uh, there's probably, it's probably more a model than it is fact. Yeah. Um, the market still wants to see that. And um, I think that's still a big unknown. I mean, what is good, I guess you could say this is going to help people like banks. Yeah. We saw most of the appreciation day in, in banks. So this is going to be good for them. I was doing looking at some of the numbers on dividends today and... Um, even penciling in big, big, big cuts, the yields are just through the roof. So yeah. 
you know, get a bit of fear we could go to the European model. I think that's unlikely. Um, there's some super cheap stock out there. Okay, well, on that point, what's the one stock that you think looks like good value, even if the market goes down, say, a, a 7 or even a 10%, because the movements are big at the moment, and I'm kind of penciling in that maybe the worst of the falls is now behind us because the stimulus packages are so big, but we still get falls. What, what stock looks really good to you, Paul? Well, look, I'm, I'm cautious about going anything outside the top 20 because what, what you're seeing in this movement is that the, the leading stocks get hit the hardest, but they bounce the hardest the way up, right? Yeah. We're going to see that again, right? Mm. Every time the market rallies, it's the banks, it's the CSLs, mm. it's the BHPs, it's the others that rally back up. So I reckon if you're bargain hunting, you stick for something, a blue chip, right? It's going to be in business in six or 12 months, no doubt about it. Yeah. I, I like Qantas, but I, I think airlines could be a little more challenged. I think that's the pure play in the travel set yeah. uh, rather than the web jets or the flight setters. Um, look, I'm probably still in the banks, Peter, because I think, they're, I think they still represent the best value. Mm. Um, CSL back up to $315. That's, you'd have to say, is getting a little bit toppish uh, mm. for me. Um, I'm probably going to be rather boring and stick with, with, the, mm. the, with the boring old banks. I'll throw one at you. A, a company that would be suffering at the moment because people aren't driving to work is Transurban. Yeah. But when we get back to work, their money machine starts Look, printing again, it doesn't does. it? It does. I mean, I think there's uh, what we don't know yet, and we, we, we will start to talk more about this, Peter, is what, what this does to the way people work. And okay. There, there could be some long term impacts here, both in terms of, first of all, much greater use of, of online shopping. Oh. I think that's a trend already been in place, but people are starting to really having to adapt. Yeah. And secondly, a lot of people uh, are adapting to working from home. Now, I'm not saying people won't go back to work, yeah. but you just need a subtle change mm. in the way people start to work after this happens and maybe say, well, look, I'll work three days a week at, at, in the office and two days a week at home. Down comes your toll revenue. So, yeah, so good point. We remember after... I think there's a really good example of going back to the airline dispute in the late 80s when uh, Hawkey, yeah. uh, early 90s, Hawkey shut the airlines down effectively with a pilot's yeah. dispute. took a long time for the airlines to recover. People got used to not having to travel to have meetings. They got used to using mm. the telephone. Now a lot of companies, are, well, people around the globe are just using Zoom or you know, through the FaceTime Skype. or Skype or whatever yeah. it is. Some of that's going to continue after the, when we all get back to work. So... Some of those things you expect to recover may be a little slower, so I'm a little hesitant to jump out into things like um, things which are being disrupted mm. by the fact that everyone's had to adapt to this. So just be a little careful on that. Online shopping is going to boom. Mm. I think that trend is in place. Mm. Uh, I think um, there's going to be some other industries that just do, through an e-commerce environment, they're really going to be strong as a result of this. Okay, that's Paul Rickard, and that's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Let's hope we're right. And let's hope the worst of the stock market crash is behind us. But still, there are some tricky moments ahead, I suspect.